1: Like late August they put out the Halloween decorations at the stores or like right after Halloween they put out the Christmas decorations well guess what everybody it's basically January so we're talking transfers this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast my name is Alex Pithing me on Twitter Yankee Gunner look when you're sitting around during an international break it's too soon to preview the Liverpool game it's too late to talk about the last game and you're like what's anybody gonna want to hear about Oh, there's always one well you can dive into. You can crank that bucket up, and it's always full of goodness, and that's transfers. So we will try to dive into the January transfer window, a little preview of that madness, if you will, because uh, I got nothing else to talk about. But we do have a little bit of housekeeping to do. So we are going to open up the voicemail box. And let you have your say on the podcast. Uh, ask questions. Give your opinion on very specific topics. That'll open tomorrow. Now, for the time being, that is going to be for patrons only. And the reason is pretty obvious, right? Like, we haven't done it before. I have no idea how many it'll be. And just trying to sift through it. Like, I'd rather keep it to a uh, a community of people where the size is small enough that, that theoretically I can manage it. And if it goes well and we can open it up wider, absolutely want to do that. But so we're going to start it that way. Uh, and see how it goes and if it becomes something interesting and we'll have an episode maybe every week, maybe every few weeks, depending on, on how it is, where we incorporate some listener ideas, questions, and uh, opinions directly into the show. So we'll see how that goes. Another piece of housekeeping is tomorrow we'll have another episode coming out, an interview with Sarah Rudd, the formal head, former head of data analytics at Arsenal. Uh, obviously, some topics will be off-limits. But it should be a really fascinating conversation, a brilliant data analyst, and someone intimately involved with uh, how Arsenal used uh, analytics at the club. Now, I do want to be clear, of course, there will be some uh, firewalled topics there, but I still think we can get a really interesting insight into how that piece is used in the game generally and what, um, what her opinions on that side of the game are. So I'm excited to talk to her about that. Um, lots of other... Bits and pieces. And just uh, for me, I I sort of want to make the point that many of you who follow me on Twitter will know uh, we had to put our dog down on Saturday. First time I've ever gone through that. 13 years of being my shadow, following me around everywhere I go. And it was harder than than I think I expected. And when you go through that, I know it sounds silly, it's a dog, but like in the moment you feel like you will never be happy again. Like I felt like I'll never get over it. I'll never be happy again. This is the last time I'll, I'll ever feel good in my life. And it just made me realize there are people that deal with that every day that, that feel that feeling. And you just, that feeling of putting one foot in front of the other, trying to get through the next day, wake up and say, I'm going to get through this day. Someone sends you a message on Twitter that makes you laugh, or a friend calls you up and says something nice and it, it just propels you past it. And so I know a lot of people sent me messages on Twitter that made me laugh, made me smile, made me cry, but like, it really helps. It really, it really means a lot. And there's no possible way to to directly thank everybody individually. But like, if you are someone who's going through a hard time or gone through something like that and, and feel like, gosh, I will never, I'll never be happy again. I'll, I'll never be better. Um, you know, I, I definitely feel that in the moment and just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to, to get to the next step is where I'm at. Um, and so I, I hope that wherever you are, you're able to, to make that journey too. So, Thanks to everybody. Uh, enough of that. Let's get started with the actual podcast and, and the silliness of, of talking about January because why not? So, Paul's on Twitter, Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim's on Twitter, Shibata. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, gentlemen. Obviously, a big part of what uh, helps get me through the day as well. So, thank you to you guys for being here.
2: Um, I'm sorry yeah. my woohoo was a bit jollier than it should have been. But anyway. Mm.
1: No, we need it. Like, you need, you need, You need to propel yourself forward, and the jolliness is is appreciated. So,
2: Did you know um, that if all the electrons in your body, uh, all the atoms in your body aligned in the same direction, you would move at 2,000 miles per hour, talking about propelling yourself forward?
1: Is that what happens, like, to my tongue when I open my mouth? And the words Possibly. I'm explain it. Um, so at least we know my tongue's atoms are aligned properly. Yeah. Well, that is interesting. 2,000 miles an hour would be good. I mean, think of the mm-hmm. money you could save on, like, airfare and train fare oh, yeah. and things like that. You just get places. Yeah. Um, clothes. Clothes, yeah. Because, well, wait. Why, why would moving You're fast? You're going at
2: 2,000 I mean, miles per hour.
1: You, you, but you'd be cold. Like, you need, you need the protection from the elements at that point, Or don't would
2: you? you be very, very warm?
1: Ah, that's I do the friction. I don't know. It depends yeah. how what your altitude is, I guess. Um, hope you're enjoying this everybody. This is what you get on an international break. Like this is it. This is our homage <laughs> to the Ars blog waffle, the Ars cast waffle that we don't uh, do at all. This is I'm why we don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it may be an explanation. Um, so, well, Tim, let me, let me just start with you quick before we get into the stuff that you hate. Since you <laughs> like the transfer stuff, the least, I will let you just speak on this. You got to speak to Gabriel Clark. We ran your interview about the, um, the Arsene Menger Invincible documentary, there's been so much content put on about it now that I just didn't feel we needed to do a whole episode. I thought about doing sort of like a movie night where we go through it. I know some people probably still haven't seen it yet, so I don't want to spoil it because I think the full streaming version comes out on the 20th of November. So maybe after that, then when everyone's really seen it, we can do an episode talking about the bits and pieces. But I'm just curious to to get your sort of 30,000-foot view, having spoken to Gabriel and having watched it, on what you think it adds to the story of a very important part of the club's history because it isn't just Arson's story in that respect. It does no. shine the light on some interesting aspects of, of the club in that time generally.
3: Yeah, I, I think the most interesting aspect of it is actually the the Arson um bit of it because I guess the Arsenal bit of it we we all know. Uh we all know very, very well. Um, and obviously, like, I'm not sure there is any additional insight that you can give there, albeit he does kind of I, I think this was fairly widely known, but um well, maybe not that widely known, but you know, that Wenger offered to resign when David Dean was um unceremoniously ousted um for being a bit of a bastard. And and it, it kind of but I don't think Arson's ever really gone fully public on that. And and I actually thought that when they touched on you know, the end of his reign, as it were, I thought those were the most interesting bits. And just hearing him say things that I've never heard him say before, like I should have delegated more and maybe I should have gone earlier, maybe I shouldn't have, I don't know. But I I guess the first time that I'd really heard him express those regrets and that perhaps some of the criticism he was getting at that time wasn't all misplaced. And yeah, yeah. Uh, to be honest, like I still... I mean, I said to Gabriel in the interview, like I, I needed like a Venga detox and I still think he has his part to blame in it all becoming so toxic at the end. Like he really should have gone. <laughs> he really, really should have for everyone's sake. And there's a little bit of me, I have to be honest, that kind of resents him. Um, just a little bit for that, for, you know, all the, I, you know, it's not him that was being toxic, but once it gets to that stage, you have to go, you have to go and the club wasn't brave enough to do it. And I, I kind of resent him a little bit for not, for not doing it and making those last couple of years really not very fun. Um, Th- Not painful it. that is
1: for you to say too, because I know how much you uh, adore the man. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, like this documentary brings out so many great memories um, as well. And 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 I th- I just thought it was really well handled. Actually, I was just having a chat with Clive off off mic. Perhaps um, if they'd gotten if Gabriel had gotten more than three days with Arson because of COVID protocols, mm-hmm. I'm sure on a fourth day they might have gone over like the 2014 FA Cup the 2017 FA Cup, which he won having not signed a contract yet. And, and those would have been very, very interesting things to go into, which I'm sure they'd have done with an extra day slash another 20 minutes of documentary time. But I, as someone who really wanted a Venga detox, this was, uh, I was a little bit apprehensive, but I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well handled.
1: Two short answer questions for you. One, I came away from it with the distinct impression for the first time that I don't think it's impossible that Arsenal will never come back to Arsenal. Mm-hmm. I I don't see that changing. There mm. there feels like a stubbornness uh, of the emotion there that he will not come back. Do you think that that interpretation is justified?
3: Could be, yeah. And and I I hadn't really thought about that. And and actually, I quite liked um, Arteta extending the olive branch because I do kind of think there has been enough distance. Now it's two managers. It's three and a half years. That's kind of fine, and when you think about like the club welcomed like George Graham back for all of the Highbury celebrations and stuff like that, and and you know given the acrimony of his departure, I, I'm I'm certain there'd be a very open door to Arson. I really hope it happens at least once, like without getting too maudlin. I I hope he doesn't like he's he's a very as you see in the documentary, he's still an incredibly healthy, fit man. So hopefully he's got a lot of road ahead of him yet. But I would hate for him to never come back. I would really dislike that.
1: Yeah, um, I agree. And then the other short answer question, just quickly, I think the two people that come across the best in this, arson notwithstanding, are Patrick Vieira Mm -hmm. and, weirdly, Sir Alex Ferguson. Mm -hmm. I think their contribution specifically had the biggest impact on me do you have a yeah. different interpretation?
3: No, not at all. And obviously, we we don't hear for it. Well, we don't. We're not as invested in what Alex Ferguson says, and Vieira doesn't speak very much about this type of thing. So, they were two very interesting perspectives. What I'll say. Um, with regards to, to Ferguson's one of the things for all of the stuff that has been written and talked about the Wenger Ferguson rivalry, this was the first time again, not too much of a spoiler. I don't think this is the first time that I'd heard someone allude to their backgrounds actually being very similar. And Mm. it's Ferguson that makes that allusion where he kind of says, yeah, Arson was from a very traditional working class background, you know, big Catholic influence like mine. And I'd never heard that. Um, that comparison made before, and uh, and so it was quite interesting to get a new angle on it, um, particularly from someone who you know who doesn't talk very much on this. And yeah, I thought Vieira was great because I think Vieira was was very balanced. I think you can see that, like Henri, for example. Um, yeah, and this is not criticism is like a, he's an emotional person. He's emotionally involved with this. Manu Petit was quite good in this, although there are there are times when Manu Petit talks and I think, fuck off, mate. Like when he says, like, I'd have, ru- I'd have run up Everest without oxygen for Wenger. And it's like, but the reason we sold you is because you wouldn't have a knee operation. So you, <laughs> you wouldn't have a knee operation for us and Wenger. So you're kind of full of shit, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Vieira, yeah, Vieira was one. I, I just thought, yeah, he's, he's he's got his head screwed on, definitely.
1: Yep, yeah, well, it, it is... It is a good watch, I think it is fair to say. I think it's revealing enough to be worth watching. <clears throat> and while it is a nice walk down memory lane for the sort of golden era that is now sort of sepia-toned, unfortunately, I think there's enough in there also that is thorny and uncomfortable and 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 honest to be to be worth the viewing. So enjoy that. And, I, and by the way, we have no affiliation with the movie or anything like that, so just um Happy to be able to talk about a good piece of Arsenal content. Clive, I know you don't like to do the nostalgia thing, so I will spare you.
4: Yep. I will it's let you about talk tomorrow. about the stuff
1: you love. Yeah, yeah, it's all about tomorrow. Exactly. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. And all our yesterdays are lighted fools. The way to dust. Anyone? Anyone got me there? The way to dust. No, today?
2: I think you stumbled in the same place as the last time you quoted yeah. that poem.
1: It, well, it, yeah, it's it's actually not a poem. It's just Shakespeare. But – um. Who Who is a poet, in a way? Uh, Clive, help me. Fuller and Balogun, mm-hmm. good player, too good for reserve football, not finding a place at Arsenal, has been speaking about that. I don't think the quotes suggest an impatience with being an Arsenal player, but an impatience with only playing reserve football. As we walk down the path to January, and we put out the, the transfer window decorations at our virtual uh, store here way too early for people to scoff at them, his, his future is one that will be, I presume, determined maybe even before that window opens. We do have the African Cup of Nations. Do you think he goes for loan at the end of the month once we're sure his services aren't needed? Goes at the beginning, not at all. How do you see Arsenal trying to get this very talented player something more than reserve football?
4: Well, I don't think it'd be difficult for him to find the club um, because he's been looked at by everybody in the lower part of the league and the and the championship. So I thought his quotes were very rounded, but of course there's not much going on, so people took it as a, as a challenge to the manager when actually it was anything but. It was I fully trust him with my career. I heard Arteta speaking about him saying he needs to go through the phases and these phases shouldn't be jumped i thought okay what's he so what phase is he going through now i wondered right so and i thought actually one thing that's different about him this year that he's the captain of the under 23s so he's maybe they want to teach him about responsibility you know bringing young people through i don't know i feel as though from a physical point of view i would have liked to see him go to a championship team because i think he needs to see where he is physically against men but they've obviously got a plan for him and the players seem to trust the plans of the of the club and more than many of the fans do. So yeah, I hope he gets a, a good loan towards the end of the month because we need to keep our bodies particularly around the beginning of January, we need to keep them there, fake up starts as well. So it makes a lot of sense. Why miss Arsenal opportunities if you're going to be needed? And if we do have problems and injuries, etc., or people coming back from Africa with certain illnesses, for example, then he may be needed. So the doors open for him. I think. Can I he's- ask you
2: something, that on, on that, Clive? Because it it was on the R's cast this morning. I was thinking about that. Um, like, I know it's in our interest to keep him till the end of the month, but like the loan window, if if we're sending him out for Balogun, like the loan window's so short. If he actually wants to become a starting striker for somebody, that January, like moving Jan one gives him a way better chance of getting himself in the frame uh, when you've only got like a three, four month loan or whatever. I mean, it's unlikely he's going to go to a club. We saw it with Leeds, right? Just because we send off Eddie to Leeds does not mean he's walking in there or he's their first striker. So uh, wherever he might go, he's got to, you know, fit in become part of their culture in 30 days if he wants to do anything February 1. I guess that was my Question to you, given you know, given you know how these things work, it's
4: um, it's very hard to put. He could be absolutely right, Paul. It'd be very hard to sort of say what's right or wrong. I can look it from a an Arsenal point of view, um, and where we're going to be, and with the African Nations Tournament, with two of our forwards going somewhere else, and we're not sure when they're going to come back and how they come back. A forward that's left behind is thirty years of age, (laughs) and we we all know he can't play past sixty-five minutes. We have another 20-year-old that's still being developed, you know, and we've got a 21-year-old and a 20-year-old Helen Wideman, you know. So there is a hole there all of a sudden, you know, and someone needs to fill it. I well, know doubt we'll yeah. get onto that in the transfer rumours. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got some ideas. <laughs> yep. I've I got some thoughts there. i will wait till you get me on that.
1: I, I but, will come around to you on that, I promise. Yep.
4: Yeah. So, yeah, it's a – I I think this player is yet to be defined, I will say that. And I thought he was just a stick-on, sprint-away, centre-forward. But he's also a very, very good dribbler from the left-hand side of his right foot and very creative. There's a player here that can seem to be a play in tight spaces inside, particularly in the box, and he can also travel on the outside. So he's an interesting player that I hope we develop properly because I think there's something unique about the way he creates shot opportunities in the box when he shouldn't, you know, and I'm, I'm talking, you know, very top class. And you know, Marte has got that trick as well. He does it a different way, a bit more dynamic and flashing. This kid is very, very skillful. You know, understands his space, understands how to get it onto the exact point to get the contact for the second touch. I mean, he's a very, very interesting player that I just want to see separate and move people like he does for youth levels at like the senior level. And as soon as we see that. I think we'll see him and realize what a talent we have in our hands.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I hope you're right. I think it is a fact of life when you have two Academy players come through at the same time at of the caliber of Saka and Smith row that you start to just forget that most Academy players never make it at all. I mean, I, we were talking about this the other day. I can't remember what episode it was on, but we're trying to think back to who I think it was when I was talking to Nah. you know what? I have no idea. My memory's shot right now. I've been through a lot, but like, Who was the last Academy kid who was successful as either one of those guys? Jack Wilshire, briefly, and before that, Ashley Cole? That's it. Like, that's the comprehensive list of stars that came from the Arsenal Academy. Now, I'm not saying players. We've had players come through that are useful. I mean, right now, we have other Academy players that are very usable, like Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And, you know, we've had players like Alex Iwobi. Kieran Gibbs played a lot. But in terms of starring players... It is rare, exceedingly rare. And so, Balogun may get there. Wouldn't that be great? We've seen, unfortunately, with Spurs, what an academy striker coming through and being elite can do for your development. You can win literally nothing. Um, But it would be helpful to have that happen, although I don't think we can presume it will happen. And one of the other academy strikers that currently finds himself in a situation where... His future is extremely unclear, probably more unclear than Balogun just because of age and contract situation, Paul, is Eddie Nketiah. Mm -hmm. Now, Eddie Nketiah has looked pretty good in the brief chances he's had to come on and play. I don't think there's any likelihood that his career will wind up being at Arsenal, probably beyond this season, but behind Lacazette and Aubameyang, you have Nketiah, you have Martinelli, you have Balogun. One guy probably going out on loan too young to help. One guy really not been a striker for us any consistent period, Martinelli, and Nketiah. So I think he may be the one that's sort of stuck, if you consider being a player at Arsenal stuck, and it isn't. But if you follow what I'm saying, do you have a sense of what might happen with Nkedia in January, if at all? Because I I think he might wind up in the situation he was in, like with last season, where... Alone suits him, but maybe not us.
2: Yeah. Plus, he might be the answer to get Balogun out early so that Balogun's loan is meaningful. Um, and so you keep Eddie around and, um, you know, him, Lacazette, and anybody else who wants to try their hand at playing a false nine is our strike force for two games. I mean, that seems like a reasonable scenario. Then I think you can get Eddie out the door and get him to start his you know, mentally start start his loan in December and physically start his loan in January 1st. And that might be the most value we can get out of Eddie to get Balogun going, give us coverage. The thing about it, I mean, Eddie's a very nice player. He's, as we all know, more of a penalty box player. But when Arteta talks about the process and Balogun and not missing any of the steps, he hasn't had much time with Balogun before sending him on loan and I think he wants to turn him into an whatever we might want to call this, Arteta ball um, striker as he did with Eddie where he, he taught him to play a bit of hold up, a bit of working for the rest of the team, the pressing game, when we press, how we press. Uh, Eddie did became quite a different striker for us, especially in the, the first half of last season, and uh, doing a lot of legwork for the rest of the team when he'd always been just the guy who finishes off the chance anywhere near the six-yard box, and he's grown a lot. We just haven't seen much of the benefit of it because by the time we began playing good football, we had Lacazette and Aubameyang around and playing, And Eddie didn't get much of a look in. So we haven't really seen Eddie play much for us apart from in preseason and early season for us. And we're like, oh, he looks, he's reminded us he's quite a good player. But he's also quite a good player because we're starting to get into the box and starting to feed him uh, in the kinds of situations where he can look a bit better. So, um, like, I think he's a very good player who's going to do very well somewhere it won't be for us but his primary usage is at this point is he's played in he can play the system whereas Balogun I don't think Arteta thinks he's played in and can play the system and is integrated and knows uh, when to do the leg work when to get into the box etc. Eddie knows the score he's at a certain level um, and if we had you know if we'd played more in the final third with Eddie and the team. in the times he was in the team Um, we'd probably think even more highly of him at the moment but I think his path his future is unfortunately I did kind of have a little hope that so, we might find an answer in an answer in the last six months of the year but um it sounds like he's made up his mind he wants to go he's off so it it is what it is and like, they do have the same agent, and I thought that could work when we were discussing, oh, it'll ne- we'll never get Balogun signed up because they have the same agent. I thought that could work then. Uh, I didn't actually see much of an issue there, but it is an issue now because only one of them from here on in can actually be uh, the guy we have plans around, so it's Balogun.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I guess the question, Tim, that I can throw to you then generally is we we can presume that there will be some loan activity. You know, we can presume that there will be some, some activity on the fringes of the squad. I'm curious if you think there will be any surgery, any real movement in or out in what we would consider the more core areas, a potential first 11 ish type player in, or, you know, first 14 or 15 ish type player out because Interestingly, January, I mean, it's not like Arsenal doesn't have a history of doing some significant business in January. Mm-hmm. Some of our record transfers were made in January. So I always hear that January is a hard time to do business, and yet we've we've got a pretty robust history of doing some big business in January. I find it difficult for me to see that happening this particular January, but maybe, you know, look, if everything breaks right and you're knocking on the door of top four and then you're losing all these players to the AFCON, maybe there's a summer move the club considers pulling forward. Do you think, A, if that kind of business is possible, and B, the extent to which league position might dictate the urgency to, to bring a move forward like that?
3: Yeah, I I don't see it, to be honest. And the reason I don't see it is because Arsenal signed six players this summer. And I can't (laughs) imagine that they left their cupboard too bare in what they think they need for this season. We all know next summer the the striker situation will loom larger. And I can imagine that that's going to be numero uno, um, priority-wise. Maybe they'll start to think about a Xhaka replacement more, but I tend to think they'll probably give Lukonga a bit more time Maybe see how things shake out with Maitland Niles, but <clears throat> most of the most of the situations as I see them are, are summer situations, like the one with Maitland Niles, um, for example. So if Ainsley Maitland Niles goes, then yeah, you're probably looking at bringing in a midfielder. And to be honest, you should probably be looking at bringing in a midfielder anyway. El Nenny's going to go. Uh, Xhaka's going to be another year older. And so it would be good to try and offset that. Now, I personally trying I'm, to
1: rope me into an age curve discussion, <laughs> Tim, you scoundrel. <laughs>
3: but, but I don't see. Um, I, I'm I'm not as panicked as other people about Afcon. Um, I do know, it, you know, it's not necessarily an ideal situation, but at the same time, like when you lose to like. I don't know. It just feels like the transfer market is just, is become such a big talking point. He says on a podcast about transfers in November, um, that like, that's always the solution. Like we've got to buy someone, we've got to get someone, even when it's like a really short term problem. Like you could have two of your forwards, like hamstrings pull for four weeks in January and like, what do you do? Do you just go out and buy someone for four weeks? Like, I, I just, I don't think you can do business like that. I think for too long, Arsenal have been in this kind of, this short-termist loans, loans, loans type, mm. Matt Ryan, Danny Ceballos type whirlpool. And I don't think that's where they want to be um, necessarily. And, I, and And I think they've just got themselves out of it to be honest, with the, you know, making guard permanent, getting rid of Sabio, or sorry, not making Sabio's permanent, that to me, you know, saying thank you very much to Matt Ryan and going and getting someone else, that to me should have broken that spell really, that kind of, oh God, we've got to bring someone on loan because like we might have six games where we're a bit short, like you know what, if you have six games where you're a bit short, just fucking deal with it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. like if, if you think you need a mid, like we, the way we should be thinking about signings now is like, is this guy going to do a job for us for three to four years or more? Like the business that we've just been doing. I, I'm really not a fan of this idea that we might be a bit sh- short for four weeks. So we've got to go and buy players like, uh, you know, just, you've just got to play Maitland, Niles and La Conga together for a few weeks. And if one of them goes down, then, you know, you stick someone else in um, and it might work. It's, I, I don't think we have to, treat losing a couple of players like this enormous crisis it it doesn't mean we be glib and blase about it It, it's not ideal but at the same time we always knew it was coming and I'd like to think that a lot of that was factored into the summer planning so I, I don't I don't really see anything other than like you say maybe a bit of hedge trimming um, I maybe should have said that a bit later in the podcast, as a more <laughs> natural segment. Damn you!
1: <laughs> Damn you! We're, we're about ten minutes early for that <laughs> uh, to,
3: to the podcast sponsor. Yeah. Um, But but yeah, so like may, maybe like I don't know, Kalasnic might go. Maybe Nketi will go early. I, I don't see that either. But yeah, I I can't see a lot happening in January because a lot happened in the summer and I think quite a bit's going to happen this summer, particularly when you consider the contract situations. Chambers going, Lacazette going, Kolasinac going, Elneny going, like Enketia, like they're all going. Um, and there might be another couple of others like Mari um, who might get moved on. So I think that this coming summer is going to be quite busy as well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean it i the only and i agree with all of that analysis i mean the only thing that i do think is interesting right is if arsenal find themselves in a position where a top 4 finish is realistic and by realistic i don't mean we're within you know seven or eight points of it but i mean we're there we're holding it down it's it's ours to lose kind of situation you can potentially make an argument that the the value of that position economically is worth doing whatever it takes that might have been thought of being done later and doing it now yeah. to potentially protect that that you know that windfall
3: yeah yeah i mean if you look at you you referenced we have done a lot of business in january and it's very two way kind of business because you look at we made that factor like that uh, calculation with suarez right didn't work um, but we we got Erdgaard last January, good loan, and we've we've managed to make it permanent. That was that was almost like bringing a bit of business forward. But yeah, you looked at true. like the big so so if if for example if say the midfielder that we think might replace Shaq or the striker that we think might replace Lacazette is out there, and it would be better to buy them in January when perhaps there's less competition. Uh, like I I don't think that will happen, but it could happen. You look at. And, and this is why when you want to make a, like when Arsenal want to make a big signing, January is a great time to do it. So Reyes, Arshavin, um, Aubameyang, Aubameyang. um, even like those guys, they're more available in January than they are in the summer um, for a club like Arsenal. Because if you wait till the summer, you might be competing with some guys with bigger wallets than you. So mm. if like an opportunity arises, I think Arsenal would be stupid not to take it. And I think they would, but I think that's a, a very kind of precise circumstance.
1: Yeah, it's funny, right? We've made some purchases that have been really impactful ones. We've made some loans that have been a disaster in January. So it's almost an argument for spending if you want to spend. Uh, Odegaard's loan was good, but we did the Dennis Suarez thing, Kim Kalstrom um, I feel like there's been a couple other recent ones. that We did the Pablo Marie loan. He hardly played. Cedric Suarez hardly played. But the purchases have been impactful. So maybe you just go get what you need. Clive, I don't think we get a striker in January. But I think it is almost impossible to believe we will not get a striker in the summer. It is the hardest position to buy in football, I think. I think it's fair to say. <clears throat> Center back is pretty tough, too. But obviously, we're pros at that because... Every center back we buy is amazing. All of a sudden, after literally the opposite being true for ages. I think Stryker is the next big piece of the puzzle for this. What Lacazette's doing is brilliant right now. He will be going. What Aubameyang is doing is the best he can, but his best days, his sunniest days are behind him. Even if we still think he's good, his best days are behind him. So it is a situation where we have young players who maybe can solve it long-term over time. We need a player who can step in and solve it pretty much right away at a high level and that that is a really hard/expensive slash thing to do. I know you have thoughts on who it should be. There have been links to players like Vlahovic. Uh uh help me with the the Napoli players pronunciation. Uh, um Osimhen. Um, well, Osimin, like uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I I'm bad at names as you know everybody. Me too. Uh, that one to me feels like <laughs> just a little absurd given that they literally just bought him for like 70 million. And they're in a title race, and like, what are you gonna pay to get him away? Like, would a club that just bought a player for 70 million sell him for 80 million? Like, I can't can't really picture that. So I don't know. You tell me, is it gonna happen in January or the summer? And who will it be?
4: Yeah, so this talk January 1st. So I think there's there's one player that I've sort of got my Eye on just based on rumours and um, and reading and watching about him, and that's the Juventus Swedish forward Dejan Culosevski. His name is, and he's a left-footed, six-foot-plus winger from the right, who can also play as a second forward. And given the fact there are doubts over some of our forwards, and given the fact that we've seen a metamorphosis. In Arsenal, since we've really brought Lacazette in on the build-up side of things, I think what this team really needs is security and build-up. Right? And we're very heavily reliant on the two youngsters who who will have a down period. So I'm actually looking at that role before I look at the tip of the, the arrow role, you know, because we have got sprinters who can run away, but we haven't got people who can, I think, are very good at build-up. I don't think they're strong enough. And so this Kulosevsky is... Um, He's a bit of a, I always like to put players for comparison so people who don't know the player, they can get a picture in their mind. But the way he receives the ball is very Van Persie-like on his left foot. He's a left footer with a banging shot, nice crosses, first-time shot from crosses. He can travel. He came from Palmer, South Juventus, and he has dipped away and he's not playing. And so either Juventus are hocking him around or, you know, we're just a victim of that, like we have been there many times, to get a player out there when I look at the player, I think, oh, you are interesting. There is, we lack a bit of size in attack. He's not a first forward, but he's definitely, he definitely could be a very good second forward. Creative, can see pictures and can carry the ball. I do like that. The superstar ones you mentioned there, Vlaovic and Ossie the whole of the world is after them. And they're going to come with with, um, price tag. You can add Alexander Izak to that as well i just got a feeling that it's going to be interesting to see how Arteta sees a centre-forward role. He's never bought one. He's also given his contract. And I keep—I can't take my eyes off what Man City do. They almost play with false forwards, if you see what I mean. And I think Kulisiewski can play that type of role. I've still not forget, forgot when he played Smith-Rowe as a false forward. And I don't know if it was an experiment because that's what he felt on the day or that's where he wants to go. That's where he sees the game going. I think, you know, I'm not, I I am told you this one, I sway on this one, where is he going to go with it? For comfort, we think, oh, let's get a big man up front and then we can whip crosses in and like, give us something we haven't got. That's more of a comfortable thing. But what I see the best of us at the moment, I see secure build-up and transitions. and You don't need to be a centre-forward to transition. You just need to be somebody who can travel from zone to zone. And I'm... You know, a player that could be massively effective for us if we were to get him. I don't believe we will, but someone like Raheem Sterling, you don't need to be a centre for, but somebody that can move, pop it, go and sprint and run through, would be very interesting. I think, I really do. My mind is open on what this forward looks like. You know, I'm. I, I think forward play is more important than the forward. I do feel we need. We have a number of up and coming attacking mids that just need a bit of structure to play off of. And I think this kids from Juventus can do that. And there are others that could do that. And I do see his forward role being an enabling role, more so than I see the blockbusting Thierry Henry, Yang reincarnate, if you see what I mean. I, I, I do think we're going to be much more of a team play forward will be the first one to come in. So that's where my mind's going at the moment.
1: It'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. I I do think that in terms of the ceiling of this current project, there may not be a move we make that impacts it as much as this one. Now, we could get lucky, and this one might be important, but less important than we think because either Martinelli or Balogun might develop into the the player that we need to solve that position, and that would be, be fantastic as well. Paul, one more transfer rumor that, that is interesting. I think other than striker, it's probably clear that central midfield is an area where we might look to strengthen. Now, Maitland-Niles looking better and better and better might influence the decision to need to do that. So, uh, Albert-Sambi-Laconga, maybe being further ahead in his development, might influence our feeling about whether we need to do that. And, you know, granted, Shaka, maybe we decide this coming summer that yeah you know, thanks for the memories i don't i don't know i mean it'll be interesting his absence first was keenly felt but maybe less so as the weeks have gone on there has been a link to tyler adams and i have to admit i don't know it's funny right the part of me that is an american and thinks it would be fun to have an american full international at arsenal would be kind of fun whether or not i think he is the caliber of player and the type of player that that adds what would be missing is is an interesting question but you do look at it central midfield 22 years old i believe ticks the boxes of how this project works the price seems doable coming from a good level at rb leipzig um you know in a system that i think is is compatible with what we would want to do do you have any specific thoughts on on that rumor and and whether that's something that might interest you
2: uh well the american angle would be great it would be good for arsenal It'd be good for us Um, so I like that aspect of it. I don't know a huge about him, a huge amount about him. Um, I know he's well-rated. I know he's quick. He's speedy. He's played in multiple different positions. He's flexible. Um, I don't like, I don't think Chaka's going anywhere. (laughs) Always, (laughs) always a popular opinion around here. Um, well, it'd be hard
1: for him to go anywhere, right? I mean, like there's. It's not just whether whether we'd like him to go somewhere at this point. Now it's a question of whether that even be an option. So,
2: yeah, and uh, you know I know his loss. Uh, we've done okay without him, but uh, you know you just need circumstances to play out a little differently, and suddenly we'd be like, oh, we really miss that experienced player. Does look like he's making good progress. So hopefully we'll have uh, a couple of options in the January window. So. I don't think uh, I think if Maitland Niles and Samby can keep doing what they're doing right now I think we'll we'll take the gamble for two games plus some cup games um which will get us through the January window are they saying Tyler Adams is available in January
1: You know it I, depends on who's saying it and how and the kind of level of clicks yeah. they're looking for so you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm reluctant to put any stock in it but there's enough places reporting the interest that
2: yeah i'm still hanging on you know. for the Sabios rumor um, and yeah.
1: because like yeah, i know he, i know i know you love that one i don't <laughs> see it happening
2: <laughs> i got the shirt he so knows Clark, us Clark we will know never him. forgive you for He's breathing that into
1: existence yeah
2: we only need him for a few games um but i, I my guess is If the player we really wanted was available in January, that's fine. I remember Edu saying that this window was a bit... Gone was a big window, and that next summer we would look at, I think, if I remember it right, it was something like two or three players. And it just reminds me that they probably have a very clear plan of who they want and when they want them, and Mm -hmm. they want to build carefully. And like, I'm not saying this guy isn't a great profile, I just... The chances that we're going to do it in january that he was the guy we're looking for and that he wants to come here i guess you can be skeptical about every rumor i think we'll try and make do with what we have for the january though the the midfield is is really sparse i guess it depends how healthy everybody is you know we're we're going along thinking we have three three midfielders maybe going into january but that can change quickly too so It depends, but, you know, you can always get a loan.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Tim, do you have a specific thought on that rumor or the midfield? I I think, well, firstly, would you agree striker and midfield are the areas that will next be addressed probably Mm -hmm. in that order? And do you have an opinion on the priority of them or the the importance of of getting those specific ones right in terms of the next step we want to take?
3: Yeah. So I think, um, I think striker is, <clears throat> excuse me, I think striker is the most important one. Um, but, but yeah, midfield, that's, that's coming um, as well. Not least, you know, M- Maitland-Niles will probably go, I think, and Elneny will go. So even if just for backup purposes, but I think what we should really be looking at in central midfield is looking at that, that Xhaka, um level replacement really. Um, and then you, maybe by another young guy. I don't know. <clears throat> Certainly someone um in their mid twenties at least. And then and then you say to Lokonga and and other um right, <laughs> fight to the death for that spot. Um but I, I do think the striker is the most important one. I, I also think it's the most fascinating one just because as Clive said, um, I think we, we Arteta hasn't bought one yet because I mean he he inherited a 172 million pounds forward line that just doesn't work together, mm. and there's an element of having to wait that out a little bit, and we've got
1: a couple of young players who are having to wait that out a little bit. When you say the number, it's I want it because yeah. 172 million. I assume you're talking <clears throat>, Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Pepe. Yeah, and yeah. I think I'm right in saying we did the entire summer rebuild at that cost. Yeah, right. And yeah, you yeah. look at the difference in future impact. And again, it's really early, the early returns. I mean, like Yang was very, very good when he came in at first and so was Lacazette. And so I, I don't want to hand wave the talent we got with that price, but wow, like your money but can go a lot further together. if you spend differently.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they don't work together. And and I think Pepe's a really interesting one because I think I've said this before, I just can't see any other scenario than him, you know, seeing out his contract for the next two years a day. I, I'm not convinced there's a club out there that have got, uh, that have got the money um, and that will take a punt on someone like that, like teams don 't really take punts anymore, like teams are getting smarter. Um, I was listening to an interesting discussion about managers today and um, and the, you know people were talking about Frank Lampard and kind of saying well you don 't want to be too choosy about your next job because you know there 's reports he 's turned down Norwich and he 's turned down Villa, which is well within his rights to do, but you know they were kind of saying, well there's not that many jobs that come up and eventually you get, you're going to have to take one, but you kind of got to take the right one as well. Um, otherwise like you, you're, you're in that kind of zone where you might get forgotten, but at the same time, You might take the wrong job and therefore be kind of cast aside forever. So it's it's quite complicated. But even like uh, someone said to me, oh, maybe Newcastle will buy Pepe because that's like that's the big thing now, isn't it? Everyone's unwanted players. Oh, Newcastle will buy them. And it's like, but they've already got Saint (laughs) Maxima. So like that's arguably the one position where they're actually sorted and have no immediate need to upgrade. So. Um, yeah, though, Pepe, that's a really interesting one for me. And um, I think quite an interesting thing is I, I don't see how we can have Pepe and Martinelli um, at the same time. And so I'll be interested to see maybe in the second half of the season who gets some of those opportunities um, yeah. when they come up. Because one of the things Arteta's done this year that I've liked is that he has like drawn this line in the sand and said, right, these are my guys and these aren't my guys. So you know, last weekend when there's a choice between Elneny and Maitland-Niles. I mean, Maitland-Niles probably doesn't have a future at Arsenal either, but he's got more chance of having a future at Arsenal than Elneny and therefore you're in. Like I, I've liked that. I've liked that kind of, you know, before that Arteta I think was taking some short-term decisions um, with some of his team selection. But but this year there's been a change and, and he's put some faith in guys who, who are going to be his guys for the next couple of years. So, um, it will be interesting, I think, to see maybe who gets those kind of um, those opportunities between Pepe and Martinelli, and, and I think it might tell you a little bit of how he about how he sees Martinelli.
1: Yeah, well, I, that that to me is fascinating because Martinelli is either a sensational talent who could be a solution at striker, or he's a wide forward who's going to have to battle his way in, or he's a player that's just not going to happen for at Arsenal. And I feel like some way or another that that question of of what Martinelli's role is, what his future is, how we will integrate him or not integrate him, what his ceiling is, I feel like the time is really coming where we will get a much clearer sense of that. And it may be during the African Cup of Nations run. It may be the January to end of season run where we don't solve the striker issue and he gets opportunities there. But that that one is... I think so many people have so many strong opinions on that, and it is the way it is. You know, talking to David Hartrick last week about, um, you know, just about how it goes at, at, at these clubs, and he made the point, look, if you're a Premier League club, it is just life, and you have to expect it to be life, that there are going to be players in your position who are good enough to keep you out of the team. And sometimes I think we tend to be precious about the players we like, and say, oh, if all of these things were just going right, he'd be the star. But you know what? You have to make your own fortunes at a big club. And and now is the time for Martinelli, I think it's or at least it's approaching for, hi, for him to make make his star rise at Arsenal. So and I hope it happens because I, I think the ceiling is there. Clive, you wanted to weigh in on the midfield thing, though. I don't know if Tyler Adams is your cup of tea. I don't know if you think we will do something about midfield right away. Both Thomas Party and Granite Shaka are still very much players that can start every game for us. And both are players that, in, in one instance, in the pretty near future, I think, and the other in the not-too-distant future, will have to start to be moved on in terms of their prominence as as sort of a first choice. We've seen a glimpse of what can be a solution there with Sambi Lakanga, with um, Maitland-Niles, kind of surprisingly. Maybe Odegaard a bit, but I definitely think there is one more piece to that puzzle. Do you think it's Tony... Uh, Tony if it were Tony Adams... <laughs> Well, there'd be a lot of things I have to say about that, but but Tyler Adams I think fits the project more than Tony Adams at this stage. So, do you agree with that, or or do you have other another direction you would prefer to see us go?
4: Yeah, there's a Tyler Adams one. I, he, he came up in the summer as well, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it seems
1: the, legit. Would you agree with that? That the, the links seem No, well, it seems real. He's yeah.
4: I don't know why he's come up and why he's coming up. Um, I believe the manager he has now is a US guy. Is it Jesse March is his manager mm-hmm. and. I think, you know, why I'm I i could not see him leaving when that's somebody that he knows and he sort of um he profiles similar to Kante from a midfielder profile FB ref job. Do you know what I mean? He's a bit of an energetic oh, yeah. go presser, get around the pitch. He has played right back and so people immediately think, Oh, he's gonna be the right back cover as well and he can play centre midfield but all the people I speak to online, you know, from the U.S. say, "Nope, he's a set midfielder. You don't want him playing right back too much. That takes away a lot from his game. To see him as a set midfielder, so on paper it all looks good because he's a bit more of a uh, a go-get it six, you know, engaging six. He's not really a standstill play through me like Shaka's tile six. So energy is his number one thing, and I I think he's an interesting one, but I think the price will be decent, and it needs to be something where. He really wants it, and I'm not sure. so sure about that at the moment. There is one other link that's quite interesting. I'm just, you know, again, just from reading and and looking and listening. Um, Dennis Zachariah, who's a and Gladbank, is a player who is a Swiss international centre midfielder, very much a progressive carrier and a tackling centre midfielder, just quite flexible. He can play inside, and he can play a little bit wider as well you know, tall, athletic, very fast, very quick into a challenge, and he's on a free transfer in the summer. I think that's interesting. You mentioned earlier about bringing something forward. We've been linked to him for a long time. He's somebody who can do a number of jobs and maybe... If maitland Liles does go, he sort of does that real midfield role a bit more experience, shall we say. And although Maitland-Niles has been very well recently, it's the first we've seen of him. And will he want to be at for long term? I'm not so sure. So I do like that Zachariah link. I think it's something that... Just, it, was, it would help us now, but also it would help us for many years to come. He's 23, good age, the right thing to do. And also... There is a link between Eddie and Ketia and and Borussia Black. So there is talk of a, you know, two players, six months for their contracts to go. There's talk a little bit of, you know, it may suit both parties. So, again, I've only read it. I've got no contacts. Um, But I think that's an interesting link. So I've been a bit more realistic with January with the two people I think that we are linked to in Zachariah and Koloshevsky. I think... One's not in the team and he's a project as a forward and he's a post up forward that can play wide and inside. I think that's the flexibility that we need. And you have a centre midfielder that can play either side eight, can do a, a good up and down athletic athletic role, pressing role, progressive carry role, better than a Joe Willett could, you know, exact style of player. So interesting ones to watch. They're the two that I'm sort of looking at with a half an eye on, probably said it.
1: Well, that's interesting to me. I look The real likelihood, and I hate to burst everybody's bubble, is that the players we got are the players we got, and that's what we're going to have for the rest of the season. I don't have a problem with that. I think we can absolutely go to battle with these players, and I think they're good enough. The question is, can we get through that AFCON period unscathed? I think there are going to be a lot of clubs that have that same question. The problem is a lot of the clubs that we want to battle with maybe are clubs that are better resourced in some respects, you know, like like if a Manchester United needs to strengthen, they can. I don't know that, that they need to in any position other than coach. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. I want to take a quick break to tell you about uh, our podcast daddy. Our podcast daddy is Blue Wire. They host this podcast, and they put on other podcasts. Now, look, the only podcast you are required to listen to is this one. Every single episode we put out. Twice, preferably, if you don't mind. But once will do. But they put out other great podcasts, and I will tell you that in 1995, Cal Ripken Jr. broke Lou Gehrig's consecutive games record uh, for, at 2,130 consecutive games played. It was the year after the Major League Baseball went through a players' strike, so they'd canceled the World Series. Baseball was dying; like the whole thing was a mess. And his streak captivated this country and really parts of the world. Uh, brought baseball back to prominence in this country, at least for the time for the time being. Um, Cal Ripken Jr. was like on the, on milk cartons and Wheaties boxes. And he was just the face of hard work and goodness. But below all of that, there are a lot of rumors about how that streak stayed intact. Rumors about, um, uh, about things that happened at the stadium, power outages, salacious rumors of, um uh, relationships that were were kept under wraps, uh, all of these rumors have always sort of been there under the surface of this, this incredible story that, that captured this country, at least. And, well, there's a podcast about it. That's where all this is going. Mac Montadon and Sam Dingman, two good friends and seekers of truth, uh, Baltimoreans, I think you might say, they, they wanted to get at the layers underneath this story, the rumors underneath it, and explore it in more detail. And they've done that on the new Blue Wire podcast, the rumor they attempt to unravel the wild 24-year-old story before it unravels them because... And this is my favorite part. If their investigation reveals that it's truly true, the rumor would change the way we think about baseball. Okay, that's fair. Reality, big if true. And the very nature of how myths are made and destroyed. So no biggie. Yep, that's what they set out to do. Find out if they did it by listening to the rumor on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Clive, satisfactory?
4: Yeah, no, too bad. Interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, everybody has different interests. If that doesn't interest you, I guess you will not be listening to it. But if it does interest you, you may listen to it. You could at least listen to it to find out about that salacious rumor uh, about the relationship thing. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Paul, well, we're we're going to shift gears here in a minute, and, and we'll look at the Liverpool game um, Thursday, because I, I think it's just maybe a little bit too early. I'm just curious. The England team has come out, Ramsdale, Smithrow, Saka, all starting. Mm-hmm. Look, it's San Marino. Mm -hmm. Okay, lads, it's San Marino. But, you know, I I imagine Benjamin White won't be far behind. I have to admit, even though I have no connection to it, it makes me happy. It gives me a sense of pride. There's surely something good for Arsenal, even if I can't put my finger on what it is exactly about this development and these players sort of ascending to this level altogether all at once.
2: Yeah, Uh, it's great. Uh, There's a few good videos you can track down on the YouTube channel for England. That'll show our young lads there. <clears throat> um, and what struck me, a few things struck me from that. Uh, Gunnar Blog shared the one on the goalkeeping. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. had a chance to look at that. Did you look at it?
1: Uh, I don't know that I have. Again, because, my head's been, been in a bit of a the last year, so. mm-hmm.
2: Now it's three goalkeepers, him and Picky, as he's called, and the other fella, is it Johnston? Um, and uh, they're doing keeping practice. It's actually very interesting. But what struck me at the end of that was Picky's in trouble because Ramsdale is really fucking good. When you look at the eye-catching saves of those three keepers, it's like, holy shit, that thing he did against Leicester, he's a superstar, Ramsdale. Absolutely eye-catching saves in practice. So that was the goalkeeping one. Then there's a couple of ones with Smithrow um, or the overall Crowd, And what really struck me with Smithrow is he's a very, very young boy. And the fact that there's the reporting about how he heard that he'd made the England team and he ran downstairs to tell his mom, reminds you, he's living with his mom, and that they have to send his chef around so that him and his mom can eat the right food and stuff because he was eating takeout because they told him what to eat and he didn't listen. And, uh, you know, he's just a kid. Now, on the plus side, he's a kid who's wired the right way. Like, he's a good kid. So, he like, there's kids and there's kids. But, and this guy's this guy's very young. I think in a way that Saka isn't young. Smith Rowe is. But you see him in with the England crowd, uh, you know, on exercise bikes be, beside Harry Kane and stuff. And you, you just know he's like, he feels like a kid. And these guys are like these these adonises these these fully grown men and like um i just get a sense that this is going to do him a tremendous amount of good to be in among that team and when you look across the team i mean the england team is absolutely phenomenal these days in terms of the talent there like uh, i've a completely different feeling about having arsenal players in this England team than, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago where it was always a clown show and a shit show and it was just kind of a mess. And But you look across the talent in there with, you know, Sterling, um, uh, uh, Kyle Walkers, there um you know, uh, Chilwell, uh, Rhys James, uh, and you see Smithrow and Phil Foden Going out arm in arm and joking and laughing and stuff. And then you see Foden blending into the overall India, England group, and he so belongs. That guy's an absolute star. And it, to me, that kind of feels like a little pathway for Smith Rowe through Saka and Foden to become part of that, to feel part of it, and to grow in terms of his personality, his leadership. I think being part of the England setup, where in the past it might have worried me, uh, will do him tremendous good good and he'll grow more and more into because he's on riding he's riding a high at the moment and he's got the hot hand and he's scoring goals but then seasons take a bit of dip you you get a bit of a setback we hit the win the true winter months and so he needs to develop the maturity where he becomes one of the leaders and I'm very happy as part of the England setup. Uh, ramsdale is going to be he probably won't get there before the world cup but ramsdale will become england's number one unless some other young gunslinger comes through who's even better quicker faster than him Um it's interesting how competitive the keepers are they have this um, uh, you got to hit it on the half volley into the net from distance and pickford goes ape shit when they rule out his because because he thinks he got it over the line into you get it got to get it into the net without uh, hitting the ground beforehand, and like he's bitching about it for five minutes while they're having this competition between the three keepers. So that's quite. Uh, I'd go and check it out. I found a, found it pretty in- engaging and interesting, yeah, yeah, even we'll though do. it's keeper saving Ramsdale. I think is going to power through after the World Cup and take that spot. He's he's phenomenal.
1: Yeah, the the last spot that's going to be taken is is Benjamin White. I think gets in there too, and and watching that whole thing go will just be fun. So here. let's let's shift gears for a minute, Tim. Before we get out of here, we're approaching the uh, the home leg. I, I, it's not really leg the the home tie. Uh, Arsenal Barcelona. Arsenal Women versus Barcelona. Mm-hmm. The away fixture didn't go great, but this is this is going to be a fun. Thing I think for for everybody involved, and I was sort of just curious, so I went to look for tickets today. And as far as I can tell, it looks like this thing is almost sold out.
3: Uh, No, is is that possible? No, no, no. It's because they're selling uh, one block at a time.
1: They're selling. Okay, so that's good. Because because what I wanted to say is, I think there's a chance to make this a really special occasion for the club, for the players, for the fans. I mean, you can get tickets for twelve pounds for adults, Mm six pounds for for kids i mean it is it is going to take place at 8 p.m. uk time on december 9th you want to sort of tell us the the build up to this game the importance of this game you know why it might be one for people to to take the chance to to go actually go to the ground and go see it and where we stand in the, in that competition right now
3: yeah absolutely so in you know in barcelona you've got the best and most dominant team in europe um, at the moment possibly the best women's side ever. Um they look stronger to me than even the Leon sides that were dominating until recently, and Barca are the ones who really stopped that dominance. Um they are the the kind of I guess the the slightly interesting thing here is that like women's football at the moment is on a curve um, with men's football but maybe like a, a decade behind in terms of the way Barcelona women play. It's very, very similar to the way that Barcelona men played under Pep Guardiola uh, when he came in and the team has been built in a very similar way. It's largely academy graduates and some of them have been around a little while um, and they've been playing together for a long, long time and they've just got this absolutely formidable one-touch style of play. Um, but the other thing is that the way in which they vary things up is they also have a couple of wingers who can just beat fullbacks for fun. So they've got lots of like parsey, short combination midfielders, a couple of wingers that will roast you on the outside and beat you for pace. And then they often play up front with uh, Asis Atoshwala, who's, who's a very like Drogba-like uh, figure as a centre-forward, uh, runs in behind very well, uh, target player as well. So like... They've just got lots of different ways to score goals against you, and they're they're quite something to watch. Arsenal, um, obviously, Arsenal are aiming for that. They're at the kind of it's taken Barca a few years to get here. So Barca won the Champions League last year. They beat Chelsea four 0 in the final. Um, they were 4-0 up after half an hour and then that game was over. Wow. Um, which which tells you something about their dominance. But the same thing happened to them a year earlier. They played Leon in the final a year earlier. And I I thought like I tipped Barca to win the tournament from the, the offset. But what happened was basically Leon had been in like six finals in a row and like Leon's goalkeeper at the time has played over a thousand minutes of Champions League final football um, so like they really had that muscle memory and Barca didn't and Leon won 4-0 um, and it was it was a whitewash in exactly the same way that, that Barcelona whitewashed Chelsea so they, they've been on a bit of a journey to get here Arsenal are aiming for that they know it will take them a couple of years um, to get that but what Arsenal are doing is they're going um like the Klopp route under Unai Eiderval, they're going really high pressing, uh, transition kind of football, hmm. going front to back much more quickly. Um, like they've really changed uh tack in terms of style compared to Joe Montemoro. Be- and and it's that's the manager's style, but also because the manager thinks a bit like it was in men's football, that's the next evolution in the game that These are professional players now. They've got fitness coaches and things like that. So they can go and press for 90 minutes if they want to, which is not an avenue you could have really taken in the women's game a few years ago. And it was largely amateur. So Arsenal are kind of beginning of this journey where they think that their style of football in a couple of years will, will kind of overtake Barca's style. At the moment, it's it's probably a slight mismatch. Um, as you referenced, Arsenal lost the away game 4-1, which was not really unexpected. Um, again, given that Barca beat Chelsea 4-0. But what was interesting, we we spoke to Jonas Eideval about that afterwards and, and he said, um, no, I didn't expect that. I made mistakes. I thought I saw weaknesses and then when we played them, <laughs> they weren't weaknesses huh. that, I, that I thought they were and he spoke really interestingly about the psychology of when you play a team like Barca when you get the ball you have to not be scared and that's very difficult and his exact words were when you get the ball you don't see Arsenal players anymore you see Barca players and so your decisions become dominated by fear so they're, they're insistent Arsenal that they learnt a lot from that, that initial game and that they're in a much better position and that they they admit I've spoken to a few players about it since that they were a bit shell-shocked in the first 15 minutes because it's one thing watching a team on video and looking at their stats and looking at the fact they got 130-something-plus goal difference last year. But once you're actually, you know, you see the whites of their eyes, it, it can be quite different. Yeah, uh, A bit like going into a boxing match thinking, I can beat this person, I can beat this person, and then they punch you and you go, fuck me,
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe I
3: can't. Um, so they they insist that they're much better prepared. But um, what, what you will see is you will see... Two of the best teams in Europe um, at the moment, and very much include Arsenal in that, and um, you, you'll get a really, really good game between two contrasting styles. But one, one of the other really big reasons to go is Arsenal have effectively given up um, home advantage for this because I'm sure footballistically they'd have preferred to have played at Meadow Park, where they're a bit more familiar. Pitch is a bit tighter. Um, you know, the bigger pitch would probably suit Barcelona a bit more than Arsenal. Um, but then again, if Arsenal are looking to play on transition, maybe they'll they'll like the spaces. But one thing that will cancel out the surrender of home advantage is a big um, involved crowd. And Arsenal really, with the style of play at the moment, they'll really feed off of that. And one thing I know they were immensely grateful for was in Kurs last week, which is why I wasn't on the pod last time because I was in Denmark. Um, Arsenal Denmark and Arsenal Sweden absolutely blessed them did a really, really great job of promoting this game in their respective uh, supporter groups. And there were 500 Arsenal fans behind the goal. And it really took the players and the manager back to see that kind of support. And because they're trying to play with so much energy, um, you'll see Jonas Eideval on the sidelines. He's, again, Klopp-like, very animated. And he says that's because he wants his team to have energy. And he doesn't really do tactical instructions from the sidelines because he says... I do that before the game, at the game. The way I can make a difference is to give my players energy and encourage them and basically be a bit of a nutcase. So if, if you can get fans doing that as well, I think that would make a massive, massive difference um, to to Arsenal. But nevertheless, I, like, I hate to say it, but also Barca are a, <laughs> a big selling point here. Go and watch them. Um, they're amazing and they don't play in England very often.
1: Just go. If you can go, go, have a drink, bring the family. The tickets are cheap. It's Arsenal Football Club, and they need you. And to think what it would be like to have that stadium even sort of full, I mean, we saw what Emirates Stadium doesn't. it doesn't feel like Fortress Emirates all that often, but it can. And it's ironic because it was Barcelona coming to the Emirates when our Chabon scored the famous goal, and I realized, look, it was the first leg of a tie we wound up losing. That's a famous night. That's a memory we will all, I think, have for a long time, even though it was, you know, n- ultimately not a-, a success. But I think it would be so exciting to see a full Emirates supporting Arsenal women, showing the class of our club, showing the support we have for anyone who pulls on the shirt, showing the support we have to just beat freaking Barcelona any chance we get. And I realize that's not the likely outcome. Tim, I mean, I, I know you never can predict what's going to happen with a draw, but it's also not beyond possibility that this could be a, a final preview is it, is it possible
3: it, it could happen yeah it could happen um, essentially but I mean, Barca, Chelsea
1: Leon PSG yeah. maybe are those the teams you're looking at
3: yeah yeah what, what what you've got basically is you've got Barca kind of out on their own and then yeah there's that cluster of teams probably I mean, PSG just lost 6-1 to Lyon, actually, this weekend. Um, They've been weak. Uh, Lyon did the... They
1: they had a scandal in their ranks. We won't go over it, but... Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, because it's
3: subject to to legal uh, proceedings. But uh, kind of what Lyon did, because PSG actually won the league in France last year, the first time in, I think, over a decade that Lyon hadn't won it. And Lyon went and uh, Bayern munich to them and bought three of their best players, um, so Leon are going to win the league again this year. But like Leon, Chelsea, Arsenal, they're, uh, Wolfsburg are not as strong as they used to be, but still strong. You'd put those four teams kind of together and say that any one of those could probably be finalists. The advantage Arsenal have got is by being drawn in Barcelona's group. They can't play them again till the final. So, you know, Arsenal should go through in the group in second place. Um, and then you know, look, they'll, they'll get they'll get a difficult draw after that because they'll play a group winner, but but a draw they can win. Um, so they they could, they very much could. It's you know, there, there's there's a fair to decent chance um, that that could end up being the final. But you know, Arsenal would have to beat someone like Chelsea or Leon to make that happen.
1: Wouldn't that make it even sweeter? Well, I'll tell you, yeah. I hope people will go. And, and maybe what we'll do is we'll give away a couple tickets, working on some things where we can, can help encourage you to be there. Uh, maybe we can even organize a, a sort of Arsenal Vision meetup with Tim and Clive and stuff and, and, and make that a special night. I know Tim will be working that event, but um, it, it, it's going to be a special one. And I think it, it would be really cool to see the Emirates make that into a, another memorable night. So. Let's um, let's leave it there. I think that's good. What we're going to do, remember, we're going to open for patrons the voicemail box line tomorrow. We're going to have the Sarah Rudd interview, former head of, of analytics at Arsenal. We're going to have a big, big uh, run-up to the Liverpool game. We're going to have new announcement on our YouTube side, trying to do some more YouTube stuff and getting some help with that from someone very talented. So lots of lots of good stuff uh, to announce. But I think over the hour, Mark, and it's it's very uh, interlully, and we've got the Arsenal players going for England, so I know Clive's only 10% invested in this at this point so we should say goodbye Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC thanks bud
4: thank you very much
1: Smith Rowe or Saka scored yet
4: I'm not watching I'm dedicated to the podcast. Pause.
1: yeah yeah liar Paul's on Twitter pause my pants thanks pause woohoo Tim's on Twitter thanks Tim
4: my pleasure as always
1: my name is Smith. Goodbye. Me on Twitter Yankee Gunner love all of you so much so so much can't tell you how much but it's a lot and uh hope you'll be here for all the good stuff more tomorrow more the next day more the next day more the next day and then we beat Liverpool and it only gets better from there. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Liverpool News.